Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This episode is with Jason O'Keefe, who's the Academy Sports Scientist at Everton. This podcast episode came at a good time after speaking in recent episodes with David Flower, who's obviously at Everton, and also James Malone. Um, James is someone that Jason is working very closely with for his basis accreditation. So when James was talking about uh, the process from his side, we get a real good insight into um, how Jason has utilised the process from, from his side as well. So we talked about his background, his career, what's led him up to his role at Everton. We spoke about his work with James and also how having a mentor like James has influenced his approach as well. We talked about um, something that he posted over on Twitter, was putting a question out to people, the main focus of rehab, so whether it was getting a player back on the pitch as quick as possible or whether it was getting a player back in the best condition. Um, so we had a little discussion around that. And then we also talked about utilising technical and tactical in drill design for uh, players in the rehab process. And he gave some really good practical examples of that as well and I know we've got some great stuff over on his Twitter as well so go and give him a follow on Twitter at Jason O'Keefe and then number 10 and go and check out some of them those videos that he's posted just very quickly before we dive into the episode as this podcast goes out we're just under or just over sorry a week away from our next event at Nottingham Forest we've also already got some top practitioners booked onto that event three presentations at this event uh, at the city ground we've got Mark Devonshire who's a physio at Forest we've got a uh, strength conditioning coach at Forest Brent Dickinson and also the legend that is Simon Brundish um, who works both at Derby County Ladies and then with numerous um, kids across the, the world basically on a, an a S&C program that he has developed as well so they are all going to be presenting at the event there are still tickets available so if you want a ticket to that event, just go to footballfitfed.com and click the shop tab and there's tickets to the Forest event there. If you can't make that one, following that on the 16th of December, we're over at Salford City, the Peninsula Stadium at Salford with a presentation from co-host of the High Performance Podcast, Damien Hughes. So again, loads of practitioners already booked onto it, but tickets are still available for that event as well. And everyone that attends that event also gets a copy of Damien's brand new book too. So you not only will be taking extra wisdom away from listening to Professor Damien Hughes, but you'll also be taking away his brand new book too. So go and check those out, footballfitfed.com. Click the shop tab and there you can get your tickets there. We'll get into the episode now, episode 164 with the Academy Sports Scientist at Everton, Jason O'Keefe. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 164. I'm delighted to welcome onto the podcast Jason O'Keefe. Jason, how are we doing? All good, Ben. Uh, thanks for having me, mate. Um, yes, obviously you've had a lot of really, really good people on your podcast over time, so it's nice to be kind of added to the list. No, thank you for giving up your time, mate. I appreciate it. I've not mentioned your role, but Academy Sports Scientist at Everton. So yeah. I imagine there's going to be a few um, familiar names of people that might crop up that have been on the podcast uh, recently, but we'll get into that in a little bit. But no, I appreciate you coming on. I've seen you posting some great stuff. Obviously, we've never spoke before, but this is this is the yeah. first time probably having a conversation, but you're posting some great stuff online. So it'd be great to dive into a bit of that um, on the podcast. But just start us off, mate, like we always do. Your journey so far, where, where's it started and what's led up to your role now? Um, I guess we've probably half of the people who've been on this podcast down the old Liverpool John Moore's route. 
Um, okay, Brill. <laughs> yeah, like, like, like everyone else. Um, so yeah, BSC, signed to football at John Moores, 2011 to 2014. Um, as a lot of people know, as you're going into that final year of that degree, it was an opportunity to go on a placement or an internship. Um, so at that time, I actually applied for the internship at Everton, um, but I was actually unsuccessful in getting that. And he ended up doing a six month, probably six to nine months placement at Car Alexandra. Uh, where at the time, I was actually thinking I was wanting to be a performance analyst. And that's the kind of route I was going down at the time. So I was doing some work there with Charlie Yeager, doing two or three days a week around my studies, um, which was really, really good at the time, obviously seeing how a club of that level operates. Um, but to me, going in first time, I was like, oh, this is brilliant. Obviously, as you kind of progress through the ranks, obviously you see like the differences there. But that was a really good spell for me. And as I was kind of coming to the end of that year, um, I was almost unsure what I wanted to do. I was like, well, how am I going to get into a football club after this? Obviously, I've done this for six to nine months. And it's been really, really good. But what's the next step for me? Um, it wasn't until Luke Benstead, who was analyst at the time there at Everton, came in to do a talk and he was going about the internship again. And obviously, having already failed once. And one of the feedback that I got from the interviewers was not really had the experience of being a fitness coach, being a member of staff or helping out in a professional football club. I was like, oh, fine, well, I've got that. I really, really want to get into Everton. So I was like, I'm going to have to stay at John Moore's. I'm going to need to do something to get me there and get myself in that process. Um, so very, very quickly, got myself set up down the Enfield route. Um, and as I interviewed second time round, I was lucky enough to get the internship at Everton. Um, first year of that, kind of focusing mainly around the academy. We have a little bit of working around the first team under 21s, as it was at the time. Um, was lucky enough to get a second year from there. And that second year was like really, really eye-opening for me. Got probably a lot more experience than what I ever expected to. Um, lucky enough to be able to go on pre-season tours with a first team. I was working match days with a first team. Like being in and around that environment at such a inexperienced and young age, really, uh, was, was kind of like really, really eye-opening, but like brilliant for me. Like really, really worthwhile. Um, managed to build some really, really good relationships with some good people at that time. Um, so Matt Tabner was head of sports science at the time. I made really good relationships with him and Dave Flower. Um, I was lucky enough to be able to give him a full-time role uh, off the back of that second-year internship. Um, that role was kind of assisting with the first team and the other 21s, kind of a very junior role, almost like a, just a small step up from my internship. Um, did that for a year and then from there moved down to the under-23s as it had become, um, where I was actually allowed to kind of develop myself and take over a team and that's the kind of role I've been in for the past this is my fifth season now and I guess in the past 12 to 18 months of that season that role's probably expanded a little bit more where not just solely with the 23s kind of as the 23s has become more part of the academy uh, taking on a lot more, lot more responsibility around working those younger age groups 14, 15, 16 and so on and I kind of enjoyed it I didn't know what to expect as I went down with those younger age groups, because having very little experience of working with them, having been at first, even under 23s, working much older experienced players. But you know what? I've enjoyed it. Mm. Like from seeing the potential that the players have got, really looking to develop the players. And you know what? For a laugh, like yeah. some, unbelievable, some unbelievable characters down in those age groups. And it's nice to be able to see the pathway that they're trying to build from under 15s, 16s, so on, all the way up to under 23s, and hopefully the first team. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at the moment now. Brilliant. And with that, just just on that point, I've spoke to a few people about this, both on the podcast and off the podcast at our meetings and stuff. Where do you see yourself as a practitioner? Who do you see yourself working with long term? Because I, I believe that there's personality types that fit 
certain age groups, like you said. Yeah. It, I don't necessarily think it needs to be a stepping stone from academy to first team, does it? Some people are suited to working at academy and do an amazing job and should probably stay developing players at that age. But for you personally, what do you think on that? Like, where do you see yourself fitting? Completely agree with you. So I reckon if you'd have asked me this question probably three years ago, where I was solely with the 23s, might have been kind of a little bit settled where I am. I thought I might have been, yeah, I laid work back in the first team again, but I think I've probably got a little bit more experience, a little bit old, a little bit older and wise, a few more grey hairs on the go. Um, I've actually started to really enjoy the role that I'm in. Um, and I think this past 12 months, I've actually started to realise a lot about myself. And, you know, what, academy football actually really, really works for me. Conversations of other people away from here kind of see the relationships that are built with the players and have, like, a really good report with the players and staff. And I feel like, you know, it, it, you, know when you just feel settled in a role and you think, actually, that's kind of my calling. I yeah. work better in that environment than perhaps going up there again. Yeah. Yeah, and obviously you've had the, the experience of, of both there, haven't you? Which yeah, I wanted to touch on your experiences through the Everton internship because without sort of feeling like I'm trying to sell it to people, which I'm not at all, the, the amount of people I've spoke to that have either been through the internship or um, know of people that have been through it, there's so, much, so many great practitioners that come out of, of your club and go through that process. There's not a fluke. Like there's obviously something very, very good going on, but you've touched a little bit on like that exposure, a bit going away with the first team pre-season, being around match days. Like what else is there when the conversations you maybe have with other practitioners, what makes it stand out from others, do you think? Uh, good question. So when we had like our new batch of interns starting this year, it was one of the things I'd actually put in like a little presentation to them. I said, you've almost got to do the small things that you've, might not think people notice, but over the course of a season, people notice these little things. I know it sounds silly, but if you're told to be in for three o'clock, you're coming at 2.30. Yeah. yeah. You come and ask what actually needs doing. You kind of try and use some initiative. Okay, such and such hasn't been done. This GPS report hasn't been done for that day. Maybe I can crack on with that. There's a gym session I'm going to go. Instead of me asking that, I need to go and be down there. I'll just go in and be around it. And it's mad like people just start to see a face and start to notice you're doing the little things and it's mad how easy that, that can actually be picked up and kind of do you good. Yeah, no, 100%. Because that's just taking advantage of the experience and the opportunity that you've got, I suppose, isn't it? And it's easy. It can easily be sort of um, slip away, can't it, and not take full advantage of, of that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, don't go wrong. You don't want to kind of talk people off, but we've had interns in the past who maybe have gone down that route, maybe not taken full advantage of it. And then we've had the ones who clearly have taken advantage of it. Obviously, we've had a lot of interns still at the club, including myself, Dave Flower. I and mean, then others have gone in outside. We've had people going to Aston Villa, Southampton. People have gone worldwide. Like like you said, there obviously isn't a fluke. There's something in it. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, and we're going to touch on the uh, bases accreditation because it's it's quite good timing. A few episodes after speaking to James Malone and we get one of James Malone's um, men, mentees. Men, men, yeah, something like that. Yeah, if that's the word, yeah. <laughs> so it'd be great to get your perspective because obviously he spoke about the process and the accreditation process and how it works and obviously the work they're doing at Bases. But it'd be great to get your perspective on, first of all, the accreditation, like in terms of the work that you're, that you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Um... So, to be honest, I've probably been going through a process a lot longer than I originally planned. Um, probably four years or so down the line, and come, like really coming like towards the end of that process. And probably at the start of it, it's probably 
I was probably in that position of taking it a little bit for granted myself. Almost, I probably just thought it was a little bit of a tip box, a little bit naive at the time. But as I've kind of grown through that process and had these conversations with James along the way, I probably started to see it a hell of a lot differently. Um, again, well, that's just me maturing, becoming a little bit older, a little bit more experienced. I see it as like a really good way to kind of reflect on myself and see where I am. Like, but as I mentioned before, seeing where I see myself in the future, in that academy role, I think a lot of this process has kind of helped me to actually work out where I want to be. I think with the base, it's not just necessarily, okay, I can do this report, I can do that report. It's all about reflecting and conversations with people, being able to back that up and kind of seeing a bigger picture. I feel like that's a massive part of the basis process for me. Yeah, and it's important as a practitioner as a whole, isn't it, as well? Um, I remember, I'm, I'm sure you might have come across Liam Anderson when you were at Crew. is that right? Did you guys cross paths, yeah? Uh, not, not while Phil's at Crew, but I actually bumped into him last week just after meeting James. So I oh, did know, you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Well, that's what we spoke about on the podcast is that, that sort of reflective practice of um, doing exactly that. So I think it teaches you some really good stuff that you just take into your practice as a whole then, doesn't it? Not just in terms of the, the process, but in terms of your practice. Yeah, like it's definitely made me see the bigger picture in things like kind of understanding where I am in the organisation as such, um, kind of communication links with players, with coaches, perhaps even higher up in the club. Like there's just so many little things which you might not necessarily think about in your day-to-day -day role, which actually kind of affects where you are and how you actually do your job properly. Yeah. And that, that role of a mentor as well, because there's probably people listening to this that are at clubs that don't have, that they might have like sort of unofficial mentors, people that they maybe, it might be management or whatever. But what are some of the big um, positives for you of having someone like James? Obviously, people can go back and listen to the episode with him, but has got previous experience in the game. Um, what are some of the big positives that you've taken from working with him? Um, and a big positive for me is actually the fact that he's not at the club. That's the one thing I've found through this type of mentorship, Basie's role, that having someone external who you're not kind of stuck with day to day and it's very easy for them to be settled like, oh, you're doing a great job, bloody bar. I think the fact that he's away, he helps me to see the bigger picture. He's gauging other things that I do and asking, okay, well, why is that? Why is that? What do you think about this? Why do you think that is? Yeah. I think the fact that you're only catching up with that person every month, every two months, um, I don't know, it's finding a way to explain. Um, yeah, just having him away and me being able to kind of go and kind of explain how, we feel, how I feel about things and kind of getting his opinion of it. Like, I, I don't know, it just really works really, really well for me. And I've probably only properly taken advantage of it in the past, say, 18 months or so, where I've actually kind of properly grasped what the basis process is all about. And, yeah. it, it, and, and as a part of that, he, he has become like an unofficial mentor as part of that yeah. process and so I actually rely on a lot in my role yeah because I think like that's what you're saying isn't it someone neutral that isn't involved directly with Everton and with yeah. what you're doing but also someone understands um everything that's going on because he's been exactly. he's been through it exactly like you said he's come through the internship himself so he completely gets that side obviously he came through his PhD at Liverpool so he's been around academy environments first team environments similar to what I have in a way yeah, and the fact that he's got that academic background now, he has that swap flight twist in the way he does see things, and that yeah. has a massive effect. And when you're saying about taking advantage of the the sort of process now compared to before, is that just being more interactive with James? Like, what what sort of things have you changed, or is that just your mindset on it? Uh, massively mindset. 
I think prior to that, probably took my role a little bit, probably a little bit laid back. I think it's quite easy to get a little bit settled at times. You mm. probably don't feel like you're testing yourself as much. And I feel, to be fair, James probably gave me a little kick up the arse that I needed. Yeah. Um, properly allowed me to see the bigger picture and how I'm going to develop. It's like, okay, well, this is where you're at now. Like five years, do you still want to be in the same role you're in? Do you want to progress? Where do you see yourself? And it's up to you like, oh, hang on, you know what? Like, okay, these are the things I need to start doing. Yeah. to progress and be, be where I want to be. It's too easy to get caught up in the cycle, I think, sometimes, isn't it? Of day-to-day, like, churning out yeah. days, churning out your work and not being reflective like that. I think exactly. it's, I it's think really important. That, that's probably the process I was stuck in. All right, you go and do your pre-training prep. We're going to the training session. You'll do your GPS report. You send it to the manager. You might plan a couple of bits for the next day and you go, right, happy days, I'm done. I'll go on now. Yeah. Well, it's not it's so much more planning, making my own, working with individuals, going down the younger age groups, like, that's where part of me, like, kind of working with the younger academy now has had, like, a massive effect on me personally. I think both, actually, in terms of enjoying my role, but in terms of actually developing me further as well. Like, the coaching hours I was getting just from solely working with 23s is obviously very, very limited. Like, working amongst the whole academy group now, it's almost like doubling my coaching hours every week, and it's only developing me further. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's why it's so important, isn't it? And, it, and getting that exposure across age groups to work out where you want to go. Because I think the yeah. thing with people's careers is they naturally think that progression is to go younger ages into towards the top age of the academy into maybe a 23s role into first team, which is fine for some people, isn't it? But, yeah, it is. And I think, I think that's where a lot of people come in straight away and be like, oh, I want to work first team, I want to work first team. But it's taken me quite a long time to actually realise I, I really, really, really enjoy the academy role and watching players develop. Yeah. You kind of see that progression across the years. I find a lot more enjoyment from that than just been in that first team environment for me, I think. Yeah. And with the time, so you said you've been at the club, was it four or five years, something like that? Uh, so I had two as an intern. This is my sixth season full-time. So in total, I'm in my eighth season now. Brilliant. So uh, you're, you're going to... Yeah, well, that's one thing I was going to touch on as well, but you're going to have seen that process for a lot of players, aren't you? Eight years eight years yeah. is a long time in football for, for essentially kids to turn into first-team pros. Yeah, exactly. Like, even like we just said to the interns, you see ones who slip away and you see ones who do the extra bits and progress. And it's almost the same as a player in a way. You, yeah. you, see, the, you see the individuals who will do the extra bits, go the extra mile for you. And they're the ones that we end up seeing progressing. Yeah. No, brilliant. No, I think it's really important. That, and that, that whole reflective uh, practice is something that I think people have to sort of practice as well, isn't it? In, in terms yeah. of sitting back, setting targets. Um, yeah. I think the, the whole mentor side of things is probably not utilised enough by a lot of people. Um, no. So, no, it's, it's great to get your perspective on that, for obviously after speaking to James as well. I've been um, rooting for your Twitter and there's some great stuff on there. And I, I, to be honest, we could have got loads of different topics to talk about and you're posting some great stuff, which is one of the main reasons I want, wanted to get you on. You posted a question um, or, or sort of an open question. Yeah. Um, I think it was a few weeks back in terms of rehab. Yeah. So like the, around the main focus of rehab. And I wanted to put it to you, um, not necessarily as a, as, so you can give me a straight answer, but just to open it up <laughs> as a topic of conversation. Um, and that is whether the main focus of rehab is to get a player back quickly, to get them back as quick yeah. as possible, or whether it's to get them back in the best possible condition. So when you posted that, what was your thoughts on it? Um, so again, I've seen both sides of a picture of that first team under 23. So I guess the answer question is always going to be it depends it's a little bit on the fence but it really does depend 
see, not going to say this is every first team, but some first teams will see players being rushed back. He's got that massive pressure from the manager from higher above where I need to win this game. I need my best player back. And obviously you can always see reasons why. And obviously whoever it is doing Real, we don't want to keep players longer than we need to. And if there is potential to get them back quicker, then you're always going to try and get them back quicker because at the end of the day, they're going to develop better by being in the team environment than being working one-on-one with yourself. Yeah. Um, but, and also there's some of the things that I mentioned in that the recent paper published with Matt Tabs. Um, yeah. But kind of more from an academy viewpoint, I think that's where we can take, I won't say a longer approach, but a more planned and sophisticated approach in terms that we can get them back in best condition. There's probably less external pressure from managers to get players back. It is a much more developmental pathway, so to speak. Mm. Um, and that's the things I've been trying to talk about recently. Um, almost using that rehab process as a means of continuing that development. Just because they're injured doesn't mean necessarily what, whether they've been doing that past six months, 12 months as a part of their development progress necessarily has to go away. We can continue with that. Yeah. If you weren't able to make it to our event at Newcastle United, the good news is the presentation that Dawn Scott, who's newly appointed performance director at Inter Miami, her presentation evolving with women's football is now available to watch on demand on our community. So if you want access to it, you can get full access by signing up to a free month on the community by going to www.footballfitfed.com. Go through the sign-up process there and that'll give you one month free. After the free month, it's only £4.99 per month going forward. Not only do you get access to Dawn's brilliant presentation, but there's loads of great presentations and webinars available on there as well. And loads of great partner discounts too. So go and take advantage of some of the discounts that we've set up with some of our great partners. So go and check it out. If you've not already got yourself a free month, go to footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab, sign up there, get yourself a free month and check out Dawn Scott's presentation, Evolving with Women's Football. Here's part two of the podcast with Jason O'Keefe. I think that anyone that's worked in the academy will know that a lot of the time as well, when you do have an injured player, um, that can be the, some of the most exposure you get to that player in that time though as well, can't it, in terms of that rehab process? 100%, 100%. So some of the things I've been thinking about myself at the moment, like, just because they're out, why does that development stop? It's almost an extended window of opportunity to actually get more in because we're solely focused on working with you. You'd be potentially having four or five pitch-based sessions a week, four or five strength sessions a week. You've got your pre-training prep sessions every week with them. You're looking at potentially 15, 20 different contacts you've got with a single player to actually focus on what they need to work on during that time. Yeah, It's probably, it's probably the most you're ever going to get. Yeah, 100%. And like you say, in that de- development, a developmental phase, it, it, that can be vital, can't it? Because coaches will talk all the time about players need to work on X, Y, and Z in an academy setting. And we know that time can be limited and stuff. So it's, it's really yeah. taking advantage of what you've got available then, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, and I think that's where, during that rare process, that's probably some of the things that we've tried to integrate with coaches, with physios, um, kind of looking at the bigger picture and on that rehab. And actually trying to, okay, not necessarily just the physical stuff we're trying to work on. Uh, might be some of the technical work, might be some tactical work. Obviously, it's never going to be 100% perfect coming from a fitness coach or a physio, but there's no reason why we can't get information from others and try and drip that feed in, drip feed that into the sessions themselves. Yeah, definitely. And it's just coined the phrase, whoever came up with it originally, that injuries are opportunities, isn't it? It's trying to switch that mindset for, for you, but also for the player that 
okay, we're not we're not training, we're not playing right now, but this is an opportunity to work on all the things that we need to we know we need to work on as well as the the injury. Exactly, we might not be training the team, but we're still training as hard as we can, just in the presence of an injury. I mean, obviously that injury is going to set you back for a certain amount of time, but during the mid to late stages of your rehab, uh, kind of the uh, risk of you breaking down at that point are obviously limited. Um, there's no reason why we can't try to push and push and push. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And, and we know as well that when we've got a player in that position, especially academy, when, you, when you're working with young players, they're going to be sort of down, disgruntled, aren't they? Like you're not working with a player that, that's fully happy when they're, when they're injured, whether it's first team or academy, it doesn't really no. matter. No. What's your sort of experience has been with that? Like, do you feel like um, there's been lessons learned with, with players in that sort of position, um, like position? Is there any sort of takeaways or any little tips you give people in that environment? Uh, I think from every single rehab we do, there's always lessons to be learned, good and bad. Um, I think, again, as I'm starting to reflect more, you, you almost reflect a lot more on kind of rehab cases that you have as well. Yeah. Things that have gone well, things that have gone bad. I mean, see, if someone re-injures, you, you're probably going to start kicking yourself and looking for reasons why it's happened. And I guess if there's been a really good rehab and it's reintegrated into training really, really smoothly, like it's easy to give yourself a pat on the back and go, oh, you've done well there. But it's actually still, okay, what still could we have done differently in that process? Um, and I guess a lot of it depends on the individual player themselves. Um, for some, it might be the first injury. So how do you deal with that? It might be the first serious injury. How do, how do we deal with that process? And obviously, yeah. a lot of that is more medically led than through myself. But I like to think through myself that the relationships that are built with players, you can always try and you know, just try, try and give that little perk up. And you're always trying to see the bigger picture further down the line. It's okay. Yeah, you're injured. You might be out for this long, but let's use it to put some more muscle mass on you. Let's use it to get bigger. Trying to say in words that they understand a little bit. Mm. Trying to put a little, little bit of a side positive spin on it in a way. Yeah, that, that language becomes key there, doesn't it? Because if, you, yeah. if you're using negative language around the injury, around obviously not playing, things like that, then you're putting players in a negative mindset, aren't you? Whereas if you spin it and like you say, focus on the building this, that and the other, um, then it's a positive. And if it's, it, hopefully players will switch on to the fact that it is opportunity to go back essentially better than what they were before. Yeah, I mean, we've had players who've had re-injuries and obviously they get really, really down in the dumps about it. And sometimes, no matter what you say, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. The argument of that, that mindset. But we've had other players who've had long-term injuries, say, six months or so. And from day one, we're like, right, I'm using this to get better now. And, and for us, like that's perfectly like, right, right, brilliant, come on, let's crack on. We've had players who've had serious ankle injuries, serious hammy injuries, and during that time, we, we knew pre-injury that we wanted to put on some muscle mass. And it's all right, let's use this time now. We've got you for six months. Yeah. Let's really target that. And we've had players who've put on four or five kilos of muscle mass in that time. I'm really taking advantage of that process, not seeing it as a negative, using it as a positive to come back better. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. And I remember when I spoke um, with Richard Evans, obviously physio at, uh, with Belgium at the moment, but he was speaking yeah. about his time at Wigan. Um, and he spoke about a specific rehab process with Ben Watson and Watson getting back onto the training pitch, but just wasn't moving great. And he knew that it was basically too early to put him into that, that um, condition and to get him into training. Is there been any, obviously without naming names, has there been any occasions where that has happened, where you've had to maybe reevaluate, obviously using the other staff around you and, and sort of change the plan? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, although it is academy, you still wanted to win, so sometimes you might get the odd, can we push this play for this game? 
and although in your head you're screaming, no, 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 you, you know that sometimes you're not going to have a choice and that player is potentially going to be involved, then you might have to accelerate that rehab process a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes if you know in match minutes are going to be managed, you know, training around that period is going to be managed a little bit, they might be reintegrated into a team a little bit sooner than planned. If that process is kind of agreed on by the manager, by the head physios, by yourselves, and there is agreement that it can be managed, it's not just right, we're going to throw you in the deep end. Then there certainly has been times and occasions where, yeah, that's probably actually worked for us. Yeah, definitely. And, th- and that process as well, you touched on it a few times, is, is involving other people, physios, doctors yeah. and all the rest. So how have you felt that your role was fitted in with them as well, like in terms of working cohesively with different members of staff? Uh, the past 12 months, I think it's grown a lot. Um, I really do. Um, I think more from, I won't say necessarily say education, but linking in the physios a lot better to help them delivering their sessions kind of mid to late stage rehab, kind of going through their session plans. Okay, what are you thinking here? How can we relate that to how the player actually plays technically, tactically? Um, what do you think about this? And so that process has kind of grown and grown and grown over the past 12 months. Um, I feel like our overall rehab process are actually improving. I won't say necessarily as a result of me, because that's obviously really, really big time to say, but the fact that we're all communicating a lot better has actually had a massive effect on that. People know where players are out, we're all on the same page, whether players going to, when we plan for them to return, what we're going to be doing on a week or a certain day. And when the manager's on board of things, obviously that really helps as well. You just use when everyone's on the same page and that's the, I think that's the crucial it's part massive, of it, isn't, isn't it? it? Yeah. yeah. It's something that sounds so simple that, that doesn't happen at a lot of places, isn't it? And, and not even just in football, but if you look at any sort of team, the ones that, uh, the certain teams that I won't mention in the, in the top league at the moment, that things aren't going as well as they probably should be. Yeah. And that's because you've got different people um, maybe pulling in different directions, isn't it? So in the rehab process, it's so important that everyone fits into that process. Yeah, and if everyone's not on the same page, where's the trust in yourself if physio's going to come from the manager? Where's the trust in the player if he, he's been told one thing by one person, one thing by another person? He's yeah. not going to buy into that rehab process and give you 100% for that himself. No. Then it just gets confusing with different messages, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, you touched as well just before on utilising sort of technical, tactical in the rehab, yeah. in the rehab um, process as well. So can we go into that a little bit more detail in terms of what I was going to ask is, is like how much knowledge do you feel that you have in your role understanding that side? And then how much do you need as well? Because this is something we've talked about a lot on our meetings for sports scientists, strength conditioning coaches. How much do we need to understand the technical tactical side? Well, it's become a massive thing, hasn't it? And I've always like, undenied about whether to go down the street. You see a lot of sports scientists, fitness coaches, whatever you want to call us, go and doing the coaching badges, go and do B licenses, A licenses. And it has become such a, much more prominent part of the game now um, and again yeah, it is something I've thought about in the past and again, how much I'm going to use it I don't know how much I need it like a really good question I'll see if there are things that we're trying to implement but that's not necessarily me just going to the player okay well we're going to work on XYZ as we just touched on it's communication um, so we're really lucky that we've got someone like Leighton Baines as our like player development coach at the moment in the academy Obviously, what a perfect example to get like technical and tactical advice from. Yeah. Um, and he's really good at kind of helping out with those um, kind of mid to late end sessions where, okay, we thought about doing this. Um, 
and even not just him, even our head of academy, academy coaches. Okay, well, how do you want that player to play in his return? Obviously, a lot of players come through the academy, they play different positions and not necessarily settled on a position. It's okay, well, if this plays out for six months, when he comes back, he's got potential to be knocking the first team door. Where do we see him playing? Mm. Is that number is that number six in midfield? Is that number eight in midfield? Is that number ten? Because the way in which we we have them is going to be very very different in terms of the physical outputs that we're going to get, both yeah. of the technical and tactical stuff that we're going to get. So that's some of the conversations we've tried to have with coaches and also trying to get the analysis on board as well. Obviously, me not being a former player or anything, that I'm kind of going through what I've seen from being around first team training sessions under 23 sessions over the six years, and you, obviously you, you do pick up little bits. Um, Again, we'll try and get stuff from the analysts. Okay, can you get some clips of how this player plays in this position and trying to get some mad drills to actually mimic that. So once he's going back into training, he's able to see that picture and it, he's been out for six months, it becomes less of a shock to him. Yeah, it's a great point, utilising other members of staff. like Especially when you've got someone like that in the coaching staff, like it'd be daft not to, wouldn't it? Um, the experience exactly. they've got. Um, but again, probably an area that people don't, don't utilise enough and... I think the conversation around like understanding the game and, and getting extra qualifications and stuff, that's we could probably have different opinions on it. Like if you get a lot of people around the table, there might be some that believe that you should go down that route. But I think the the fact of you saying there's people around me that understand it and I utilize exactly. what they understand, I think that's great and really important as well. Yeah, like I said, that I almost find it's just become a massive role of a fitness coach, sports scientist, you are almost seen as like the communication man. You've got to be the organised one. Yeah. Um, so I feel like that's just become a massive part of it. Like, why would I not use people who are in a better position and have a better understanding of the game? And I'm just putting some physical constraints within what they're suggesting. Well, I suppose that's definitely the case in the rehab process, isn't it? Because yeah. if we go back years, it was physio worked with them onto sort of, well, if there was a fitness coach, onto fitness coach, then onto technical coach. Yeah. Whereas now everyone's involved at every stage, especially a sports scientist or SNC coach, aren't they? Because they can fit in at the injured stage and the fit stage and everywhere in between. Exactly. And this is a, where the communication between myself and my physios got so much better. Like, obviously, we'll start with them, make sure fine to run, et cetera, change direction, et cetera, et cetera. And that's process from them coming up towards myself to then going into training has hopefully become a lot more smoother and not just staggered, 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 and it becomes a massive jump every single time. Obviously, going from rehab to training is never going to be the smoothest of transitions. We're trying to get them to almost what we were doing pre-injury in a week during the final stages of rehab, but having players around them, having to react, having the coach be back in MRAs, like all, all these different little things which just affect that step up. We're, we're trying to minimise that. Yeah, because there's more to just the physical demands, isn't there? When, when yeah. you're trying to, especially when you're trying to get them into a, a first, maybe first team or academy um, starting lineup like yours, there's a lot. There's a lot of other factors that, that go on in that, isn't there? In that situation, so it's prepping them for that. Exactly. So we've got a lad who's out of an ACL at the moment, and he's coming towards the final four or five weeks before he's looking to return to training just in the new year. And um, wherever we can, we're trying to get him involved with. If it's say there's a training group who plays out in a squad, there might be four or five players. We're trying to get him to start interacting with players. Um, getting unopposed so he's getting used to having to react to players checking his shoulders someone's going to press him a little bit okay he's got to start changing direction a little bit quicker start thinking about it positionally mentally not just for physical work but he's getting out from it yeah 
Yeah, brilliant. And going, can we go into that a little bit more in terms of technical tactical? Because I think it's it's really interesting on um, how like the drill design works from you. Obviously, talking about bringing someone like Leighton Baines in and getting their perspective, getting the physio's perspective, getting your perspective. But obviously, again, without naming names, have you got any examples of that? I know it's hard to do over a podcast that is going to go out on audio as well as visual, but any examples of the sort of mindset, how you got, went about creating certain drills for players? Yeah, so we've probably got two key examples over the past year. Um, one, an attacking player who kind of played anywhere across the front three. Um, quick, explosive, powerful, never really had a settled position. Um, and he suffered a serious hamstring injury. And again, the question asked was, okay, how do you want us to rehab him? Do you want him as a wide player where high speed, for instance, sprint distances may be a lot higher? How many to target that? Joining us to rehab him as a striker, where there might be a lot more technical stuff that he needs to work, and might be more acceleration, deceleration based, trying to get him behind defenders. And it's like, it's like, right, they want him as a number nine. When he comes back, he's a number nine. So I get a sort of thought process going straight away. Okay, if he is going to be a number nine. How do you want him to play? Do you want him going in behind? Do you want him receiving the feet? Do you want him spinning people? Um, again, that feeds like, like you just said, how that goes into session drills and knowing exactly what the coach wants from a player. As he's coming back in, like that made it really, really easy with the striker. Um, saying he wants him to be able to hold a defender up, get himself set, spin. So a lot of his end stage rehab stuff was getting him used to that position. If we had an extra body, we'd get someone up against him and to spin them, obviously. It's not good having me or an intern up against him because he's going to spin us and get away from us really, really easy, as opposed to one of our centre-halves. But just getting that little mindset of, OK, this is how I'm going to be coming back in and I've, I've kind of got to do this properly. Um Another one was a centre midfielder we had. Um, again, who'd kind of played six, eight, ten, anywhere across those roles. And again, the big question was, what is he going to be when he comes back? Is he going to be someone who sits there and doesn't really move, more Axel Diesel based? Is he going to be a number 10 who's just floating around in the pockets? Again, might be a little bit more Axel Diesel based, getting in behind. Or is he going to be an outside box to box midfielder who's going to be doing 12, 13 gay game, 1,000 metres high speed running, high sprint distances? And for that player, it's going to be the latter. So also physically, if we knew what we were needing to target. And again, that's where we got someone like Leighton Baines dropping in to kind of help design those sessions. Okay, what does a box-to-box midfielder actually look like from a technical and tactical viewpoint? So a lot of his sessions would be focused around um, arriving on time at the edge of a box, high-speed runs to get into the edge of a box for a finish, his recovery runs back in behind, receiving the ball, switching a play, bringing himself high at the pitch, uh, kind of taking a lot of those things into account. Yeah, brilliant. And what sort of stage, what are you talking in terms of like when you're getting specific like this and you're looking at the player, the type of player, obviously not just position, but the sort of demands it's going to put on that player. How many weeks are they working for like this? What sort of stage of rehab is this going to be? Is this going to be a couple of weeks? Is it going to be a bit longer? Like, obviously, it, so the, it obviously always depends on the injury of the player, um, kind of what level of the development right in a way, I guess. I'll say for under 23 players, well, technically, technically, much better than our younger players. Um, so, for example, with the centre mid, I think we had him on the grass for eight weeks, and we were starting some like really basic positional stuff after three weeks or so. Yeah, and he was getting to like the really high end stuff from probably week five, six. So he was having a good three or four weeks of really highly specific positional work to try and get him ready for a return to training. Obviously, he'd been out for six months, so we were trying to spend as much time as we could on that 
to get him ready to come back in, knowing that it's probably going to be going straight back into a starting eleven. Because it, it, it's not only for physical and even cognitive and everything else that's going on in that uh, situation, but it's also morale. We talked about morale there. When that player is finally getting back onto the pitch after that amount of time out, and the, the, even if it's slow and um, not as intense as it is out in a game, even getting out there is going to be that boost, isn't it, for a player? Yeah, and like you said, I'll be I'll used to be, oh, you've got the physio, you're going to do a few laps of a day, you're going to do a couple of sprints, like... Yeah, you might start your rehab with some basic easy runs and keep it nice and simple. And yeah, the player is happy, made up to be out on the grass. But after a week or two, obviously, they're fed up of that process. You're fed up of just going, right, running a straight line for this amount of time. Like, you want to start making it more real and getting them involved. And like, you get involved yourself, don't you? Yeah. I mean, it, like, for the player's morale, you've got to get involved yourself. You've got to try and have a little laugh and make it a little bit competitive. Yeah, 100%. Mate, that's quality. So, and I know you've got, I know you've already posted, haven't you, some actual videos and examples of some of the work that you're doing. So, I encourage people to go and check them out because they're over on your on your Twitter, aren't they? Yeah, and like even the Twitter stuff, like it's mad. Like, I probably only started doing that in probably the last two or three months, and again, that's kind of come back. It all links around back to the basic stuff and reflecting. It's all come around from these conversations with James. I mean, I don't know what it is. I feel like it's almost not just enough to be just any decent at your role anymore. You almost have to kind of let people know what you're doing a little bit. But I think the way I've tried to go about it is I'm not saying you have to do this, you have to do that. These are just some of the things that I've done, uh, which may be of use to people and just trying to give some advice. And it's just some of my own experiences, really. Yeah, and it comes across like that as well. I think it's great. Some of the stuff you're showing is brilliant and not only just showing stuff, but you're backing up your rationale, you, you're showing the reasons why. Um, so I think that's the important stuff. And essentially, that's what social media should be for, isn't it? Like if we remove exactly. all, the, all the dodgy side of it and the slagging off and all the rest of it, this, we should be able to show our work. Um, and I'm not saying that people shouldn't be questioned and stuff. I, I, I exactly. think we should in the right, in the right way. But um, the more stuff like yourself and others are putting out, I think the better because it just gives, we can talk about this stuff all the time, but to make it visual to people, and that's why I'm saying, go and check it out. I think it's a, it's a great insight into what you're doing. Yeah, 100%. Mate, we'll move it on to some of the quick fire at the end um, of the podcast. So I just wanted to go into these. So the first one being, some who are some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Um, so I've seen always spent half a podcast talking about him. We'll have to mention James Malone, won't I? <laughs> um, then, like, I? I knew him briefly, even before my bases. Um but again, like the past 12 to 18 months, I've probably really taken advantage of that relationship and made the most out of it. And the way it's just made me see the bigger picture about my role, of where I stand, of the sport and the job itself. Um, it's been massive for me in that time. And like I'll say, I thank him for that. Um, Matt Tabner, massively, um, gave him my first role in football. And I'll say, I'm always going to be grateful for that. Um, Emo is out in Orlando at the moment. I see it still keep in contact with him nearly, nearly every day. Um, and kind of a lot of the stuff that I do around my rehab has all come from the time I spent around working with him and observing his rehab stuff. I've seen a lot of people, I've seen a lot of his research and kind of seen it through that way, but I was lucky enough to experience it firsthand and see what he was doing with players day in, day out and kind of been able to learn that process myself. Yeah. Um, so massive. Um and my last one, a little bit cheesy, but my dad. Um, like I kind of knew that I wanted to go into football from high school. I remember my parents, even at one time, my dad's going to be like, yeah, he's going to be a physio for Everton. 
We ended up at Everton. I didn't, want, didn't fancy a physio route, but we ended up at Everton anyway. So. It was half right. Half right. <laughs> hey, I, I appreciate that because not enough people say like, when I ask that question, obviously people talk about coaches and people that are close to them in terms of a professional setting, but not many people mention family and stuff. So, and I think it is really important. We have to have that support, don't we? And there's, there's going to be people along the line that have done that. And I think in this role, it, it's too easy to get stuck and not, enjoy that work-life balance you spend far too much time in that work side of it sometimes and we do forget the family side so it's massively important yeah brilliant next one what would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner uh communication like i just said like like i said before um i think in this role you've got to be a good communicator you're almost like the middleman linking the coaches with physios um chefs on away trips, people planning, people planning and organising away trips. Oh, he's got someone chasing you. Oh, where's Jace? Where's Jason? Where is he? I'm like, what do you want now? Yeah. Um, again, just managing all those different people who you're going to be interacting with. And I think it's very, very easy, Mr. Well, for little things to slip through the cracks, which once or twice, you're like, all right, fair enough. But when it keep happening and happening and happening, like you've got to be able to, be able to pick up the pieces. So it's trying to minimise little bits of communication, not going astray and make sure everyone's on the same page. Would that have been, I've, I've said this to a few of you before, but would that have been the same answer a few years ago? Like if we were maybe to go back four or five years, would that have been the same answer? Um, maybe, but certainly not to the same extent. So that's certainly come on with relationships that I managed to build with staff throughout the academy. Um, I guess you can only communicate with people so well that you've actually got a positive relationship with them in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, great point. And then final one, mate. In terms of your approach to CPD, continued learning, like basically progressing as a as a practitioner, what's your approach? Like, is it podcasts? Is it articles? Is it research? Like, how do you go about continually improving? Um, more recently, certainly. Obviously, since I'm doing a podcast with you, certainly enjoyed the podcast route a lot more. Um, and that's not necessarily just football based. Um, like, really enjoyed high performance podcasts as such, and I think that's coming line with my bases. In terms of reflecting the more mental side of it, yeah, um, I think that one's been massive for me recently. Um, in terms of in terms of my my own development, obviously the bases has been a big one. Um, currently going down the UKSK pathway, one more workshop to go, and going for accreditation next year. Yeah, and that's kind of come as part of my extended academy role as to go for accredited SNC coach status. So that'll, that'll be really really good for me. Um, the big one always is trying to stay on top of research and I know it can be difficult I've gone into that spell of my own at times where you can easily not even read a paper for months and months on end and because you do get so stuck down in the role but see, like writing papers with tabs and stuff it, it gets those kind of things flowing again and gets you yeah. back on track with a few things so that's massive as well Brilliant mate it's been top chatting to you Jason it's been there's some quality work you're doing over there and it's great to um, get your perspective on Obviously, the, the internship process that we spoke about before, working with, with James and everything that you've got going on at the club. So I really appreciate you coming on and doing it. Um, where would you direct people if they've got sort of questions, they want to reach out? Like, where's the best place? Um, probably Twitter at the moment. I'm actually quite active on there at the moment, a little bit, aren't I? And then, yeah, yeah is it, that's just your name, isn't it, with 10, number 10 at the end. Is that right? Yeah, I think, I think it's that Jason O'Keefe 10. Um, you want to ask me questions? You want to give me some abuse either way? <laughs> that doesn't pick. need encouraging on social media <laughs> take your pick I know it doesn't um, but yeah definitely definitely the best place um, 
where possible, I'm going to still try and keep posting some of these rehab bits, any other kind of little bits that I'm doing. And like I said before, it's not me, it's not me saying you have to do this, this is how this should be done. It's only my experiences and if that gives people a little bit of advice and helps them, then so be it. That's brilliant. Brilliant, mate. Well, without doing a shameless plug, I will see you at our event at Salford in, in a few weeks' time. Absolutely, um, I'll, I'll be there. With Damien Hughes, so that'll be good to catch up then. So, um, yep. yeah, have a good few weeks, mate, and we'll, we'll catch up at Salford. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Take care. Thanks, Jason. Bye. See you soon. Bye-bye. As always, big thank you for your support on the podcast and thank you to Jason for giving up his time and coming on. I really appreciate him coming on. Go and give him a follow because I referenced some of the videos that he posts over on Twitter. So go and give him a follow at Jason O'Keefe and then the number 10 and you can see some of the stuff that he posted over there. It'll make sense a little bit more in terms of what he spoke about on the podcast. Loads of cool takeaways on this one for me, I think. Um... Just firstly, the the whole reflective process that we spoke about way back with the episode with Liam Anderson, I think is a really important message for coaches. Um, He also touched on enjoying working with younger or academy players more. But I think the one thing for me looking from the outside is that that internship over Everton seems to give a really good um, view and experience of working both with first team but also academy players. So it allows practitioners by the looks of it to get that experience rather than being stuck in one or the other so we had a little discussion around the personality types and who it suits working with the first team who it suits working with an academy um he said about as well in, in the internship process doing the small things that that might go unnoticed so being early rather than on time things like that and it's going above and beyond and, and doing those things that do get noticed by people and working on those skills because in later life they're they're going to become important. Having an external mentor, so obviously we spoke about James, James Malone. Um, James obviously isn't involved directly with the, with the club that that Jason's at, but knows football, knows the challenges, the demands that go on in it, and can look at it from a a, a different view. Um, and a little bit more from Jason's perspective then as well, with with his best in mind. Um, we spoke about injuries being opportunities, big opportunities for players to improve. So not a negative of them being away from the pitch, but especially with academy players that's in that de- developmental phase, a really key time for players to work on things that might you might not have the time to work on normally. He also spoke about, uh, in his role, sports scientist, being like the middleman, where interacting between members of staff. And I think it's a great point. Like anyone that's in that role will know that a physio might come through you to speak to the technical coach, vice versa. And like we mentioned in the rehab process, you can be right right the way across the process, right up until when they're getting fit and obviously still working with fit players as well. So being that middleman, but the being the middleman, the big factor of that is having the that art of communication, being able to communicate effectively with different members of staff. And then just finally, utilising other staff. He made a great point around Leighton Baines. You've got, a former international footballer working alongside you, why wouldn't you draw from their experiences and get their points of view on things? And just have a little think, who's around you that you can, whose opinion and experience you can draw from? Because there's definitely going to be people out there. But I really appreciate Jason coming on the podcast. And again, big thank you to everyone for listening. If you've not left us an iTunes review, head over to iTunes and just leave us a quick review. Five stars would be great with a little short comment. And I will speak to you again next week in episode 165.